0: Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth. And this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Dana Spaulding, founder and CEO of Wonder & Ivy, a female-founded company that partners with award-winning family-owned vineyards around the world to bring you premium wine that is made with certified organic grapes, and packaged in chic yet convenient single-serve glass bottles. In 2017, after almost a decade in the finance world, the former JP Morgan banker turned certified SOM founded Wonder & Ivy to be the premium and organic single-serve wine brand. In this episode, Dana shares all about her journey creating Wonder & Ivy when she was personally tired of wasting another bottle of wine and couldn't find a high quality single serve option on store shelves. We talk about what it means to be organic in the wine space, how she sources her wines from around the world, utilizing your superpowers to perform and feel your best, how to prioritize work and family, using time blocking, steps for manifesting, and some of her favorite ways to feel her best. I had so much fun catching up with my friend Dana keep listening to learn more. And if you want to try her wines, which I highly recommend my fridge and pantry are stocked with the beautiful bottles, visit wanderandivy.com. That is W-A-N-D-E-R-A-N-D-I-V-Y.com and use code livepurely, L-I-V-E-P-U-R-E-L-Y for 20% off. Enjoy! Dana, welcome to the podcast. Such a fun way to spend a Friday morning with you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so
1: happy to be here.
0: I'm obviously a huge fan of yours and your brand. And I must say, we just had our team offsite this week and we took a party bus to a farm dinner. And it was the absolute most perfect thing because we filled a cooler with all of your wonder and iv products and everyone in the company just absolutely loved it. So thank you.
1: That is so awesome. I'm so glad everybody enjoyed. What a great setting for it.
0: Yeah, it was perfect. So, let's start with your background. You certainly haven't always been in wine. Curious actually, what did you go to school for?
1: I went to school for business and economics. Interestingly, I chose Fordham so that I could be in a business school, but I was also a dancer my whole life, and so I really wanted a strong Business school and a performing arts school in New York City that I could potentially pursue both paths. I ended up, as you know, going down the finance path, but I studied it all and kind of did all the dance opportunities and the finance internships, and then ultimately just decided to keep dance as a hobby.
0: You ever dance now?
1: Oh, gosh. I turned it more into yoga once we came to Colorado. I fell in love with core power once we came here. It's harder, it's less, I would say, accessible than in New York City. I was. You know, working at J.P. Morgan, crazy hours, and then I would still find time, like a nine p. Of course, this is pre kids, nine p.m. You know, wow. evening, you know, senior dance class, which I loved. Um, so it was really accessible for a couple of years. But I, when I came here, I actually did fall in love with yoga then, which I never, I didn't really do a ton before, and so it's kind of been a shift for me. And I now love doing it, but dance a little less. I dance with my kids all the time in the kitchen. <laughs> That's fun.
0: <laughs> love core power too. So let's talk a little bit about your time at JP Morgan and ultimately how that landed you on this path to starting Wonder and Ivy.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I went to school for business. My
0: dad was an entrepreneur throughout really
1: ever since I could remember. And so I always thought it would be really cool to start something. I was always very inspired by my dad. And so I didn't know what that looked like. So that's why I went to business school and then you know, for me that translated into finance and then more of the like traditional finance internship opportunities. And I landed a few. And then ultimately with JP Morgan, I just, I really loved private wealth management. It was for me, this really wonderful mix of the analytical side of finance, but also the people side, because it's managing wealth for very successful individuals and their families. And so I loved that, and then just as I mentioned, decided to keep dance as a hobby, pursue that professionally, got the full time job, and then spent almost ten years, really my whole uh, professional life up until founding Wander and Ivy there. And within private wealth management, your job with your team is to manage wealth for successful entrepreneurs and their families. And it, but in New York, I really focused my team focused on hedge fund principles and Wall Street executives. So very very different. I mean. Incredible experience that I had, but then when I came to Colorado, as you know, I had the opportunity to be on a team that focused on food and beverage and health and wellness among a couple other industries, and I was like, "Wow,
0: like this is this is pretty exciting." And They're was that happy. your choice, or that just happened to be? And you like, "Okay, this could be interesting."
1: Well, what was great was
0: that the Colorado market, and really
1: the Rockies region for the bank at that time, was really being built out, and there was also. This amazing time here where there was so much wealth being created, whereas New York for both coasts, but particularly New York, it was a lot of older generational wealth, new wealth too, but especially here, it was this huge wealth generation. And especially in the food and beverage category with these big names, you know, 10, 15 years ago, really making a splash for the Rockies region. And so I raised my hand for food and beverage, but honestly, no one was really fighting for enough time because It wasn't that big. Um, there were like the one or two big names that we're making a splash in the category and I just loved it. So I covered biotech, food and beverage, health and wellness. Those were my core areas. And I was like, how fun and exciting are these? So I a little bit got to carve it out because of the situation that the Rockies was in, of this especially era of wealth generation. And so I just, I again, knew I wanted to ultimately start a business, but I had no idea what it looked like. So then when I came here and got to experience so many founders really like yourself, Where I was like, wow, this is couldn't be more inspiring. They're building just these new innovative companies that are in this category that's really exciting to me. So, Gus, my husband, and I, we were often throwing out these crazy ideas, like classic, nothing stock, until one evening I was celebrating some kind of minor win at work. And I came home and like made this big fancy dinner and I was going to open up a bottle of wine. And that's what he said to me, like, again, you're really going to do this. You're going to waste another mm-hmm. bottle. And I was so frustrated. Like my whole excitement for the evening at the right. moment was. Way to bust my moment. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I was so in the moment annoyed. And now I give him so much credit because he was the one that was like, hey, you're opening up your bottles a lot. And I have a glass of whiskey or beer. He at the time wasn't as much of a wine drinker as he is today. And it was just like, come on, you got to like, at least start looking in the alternative wine category. And that was when I didn't know a ton about it, but just personally looked at the cans and the boxes and the bags. And that was when I had the initial spark of like, none of these really feel like a luxury to me, especially in that specific moment where I just wanted a treat. I wanted to have it be this like wonderful celebration at the end of the long day. And at the same time, not wasteful. And I didn't find any of those other packages to feel like that. And then when I dug a little bit deeper is when I really identified that there's really very little focus on clean, natural and organic ingredients here. And I care so much. Like I'm eating my Purely Elizabeth. I'm eating all these other foods from Whole Foods and caring so deeply about what goes into my body. And when I just did the research, it was very eye-opening to me to see that um, there's really not a lot of transparency around what is in your wine. And that was fascinating to me. And that was when I felt like there was enough of these aha moments of, and differentiators that I could bring to a brand that that to me felt like, okay, if I were to do something, this feels like there's this gap, there's this huge opportunity in the market. And so
0: why don't, instead of I go out and find it and just create it myself. I love that. I mean, there's so many amazing pieces of the brand that you're building that hit on all of the marks. And to your point about, we care so much about what we're putting into our body, what we're consuming, the Lotions, the things on our face, and I feel like there's still—I mean, you're bringing it to market, but that conversation is still like not there in alcohol. And people are drinking regular wine, and grapes are a dirty dozen. So it's certainly one that we want to be having from the best sources. Can you talk a little bit, explain? Because I know I just asked you this the other night. Like, yeah. what does it mean with made with organic grapes, and kind of this distinction on that?
1: Yeah, I, I love the question, and I to your original point of just it hasn't been as much of a part of the conversation that was what was what was so exciting to me was that I think it's just early days of people getting educated and and I'd love to be a part of that education with folks and so I also um,
0: think it's not only that but like the previous previous experiences of natural organic wines haven't been good right they've been this like not a luxury, not a good wine. And so I think it's, it's people haven't experienced what you're bringing to market. Oh, thank you. And,
1: and yeah, you know, I think I'll, I'll talk about the two differences and then maybe I'll touch on a little bit about that as well in terms of like, you know, some organic wine can be funky and be different. And like, there has been this negative connotation of what it is, but from a, from a regulatory standpoint, there are two terms that are regulated by the USDA and the TTB, And I think people are familiar with USDA, but TTB stands for Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau. So just another national regulatory agency. And so there's clear rules for what can be organic wine and wine made with certified organic grapes. It's confusing sometimes to people because those sound similar, but there are some differences. Both of them require all grapes to be grown 100% organically so just like the food that we eat all the grapes must be grown organically no synthetic chemicals no fertilizers or no you know no genetically modified anything or anything that the USDA deems harmful or potentially toxic so that's the grape growing process the other piece is the wine making process which I think is certainly the lesser known of the two of like, oh, that could be non-organic, but it certainly can. There are over 50 additives in wine in the U.S. at least that can be included. And what the USDA and TTB say is that there's a list of allowed and prohibited substances that just cannot be included in the winemaking process. And that's really important. And again, to the educational piece of not understanding initially that, you know, things like gelatin and other color additives and things that like, if it was in your food, you'd probably be like, I'm absolutely not going to buy that an ingredient list. But what I found really interesting was from a regulatory standpoint, ingredients aren't required on wine. So that is one of the pieces why, one of the reasons why consumers don't necessarily know what's in it, but the USDA and TTB really work require this allowed list of substances and prohibited list. The core difference between organic wine and wine made with organic grapes is sulfites. So naturally occurring sulfur dioxide happens in the winemaking process. So all wine has naturally occurring to an extent, but then you could also add sulfites as a preservative. A lot of the, especially mass produced wines have a very, very high level of preservatives and for organic wine, 100% 100% organic wine, no sulfites can be added. So sometimes that can lead to a little bit of that funkiness or wine just not being as shelf stable because it doesn't have any. Not that all wine for sure is like that on the organic side, but I think that has led to some of the negative feedback. Yeah. What I've been really focused on what our brand is of wine made with organic grapes, which still of course has to follow the organic grape regulations. So no synthetic fertilizers or anything along those lines. But then we can have zero to up to a hundred parts per million of sulfite. So a very, very small amount of sulfites. Often the analogy is the um, amount of dried fruit, for example, has oftentimes even more sulfites than that. So still a very small amount of sulfites used to keep it shelf stable. So especially for international wines like ours, we're a global importer. It's very important to us for the journey of the wine, that it stays healthy, stays shelf-stable for consumers once they buy it. And so we have a very small amount of sulfite. So that's the key difference. If someone is truly allergic to it, to sulfites, it's important that they avoid it. Um, But oftentimes what people are experiencing is a reaction to a very high level of sulfites that can be in these mass-produced wines.
0: And is it also people reacting to a lot of sugar added too?
1: All of the research that I've seen shows that it oftentimes is a combination of alcohol, all of the other additives that can be included, sugar, all of it all together, of it. <laughs> all of it together. And, and obviously, again, to the everybody's different. But when you have so many things combined in one wine, oftentimes you can have a negative reaction. So it's not that surprising, like the flushed cheeks or bad headaches. So what I always say is it, in the way we think about it, our food, if you're aiming overall to be as clean as possible, why don't we think about that in the wine set as well as no added sugar, like our wines, the organic grapes. So none of the harmful toxins there and just be as clean as possible, knowing that it is an indulgence in alcohol. Alcohol is still in there, but let's make it as clean as possible. So you feel good the next day.
0: Absolutely. And it's a single serve. So perhaps you're less likely to drink so much.
1: Exactly. And so and that's the other piece of it as well Is like, I try to live such a healthy lifestyle, but also love to indulge. But as Gus very clearly pointed out, <laughs> I was just doing it and waste being wasteful. And so I think often I hear all the time and it just like warms my heart because I love that so many people have had the same experience of I either end up drinking a whole bottle because I feel guilty about it, or I don't open it at all. Then I'm like, well, you know, I wanted to treat myself. And so this is such a beautiful, happy, like middle place of being able to indulge, but still doing it in this kind of health and wellness, you know, mindset of being mindful of what's going into your body.
0: So I love that philosophy. I feel the same way. You mentioned it's a beautiful experience. And that certainly leads me to the beautiful packaging and glass bottle, which is so unique and beautiful. Did you have that vision from the beginning? Or when did that come into play? Well, thank you. Yes, I
1: have. You know, the first thing that I experienced, funny enough, I went out in this like exploratory stage, I got the bags, the cans, the boxes, and I put them in my fridge. And then I further annoyed Gus because I just let them sit there. And that for me was interesting because I found myself, I wasn't really noticing it right away until he highlighted it there was an experience where I felt like that would be a luxury where I really wanted to celebrate something. It still felt like settling. And it was from a packaging standpoint because at that point I hadn't even tried what was in the package. It was really just that doesn't feel like a luxury. I'm it just feels like settling. And so if that wasn't enticing to me. And so from the beginning, I knew that this is going to be the first thing that consumers experience with the brand, that it has to be first innovative and, and then also luxury, because at that time there also was a flood of cans to the market, which, you know, they're absolutely, they've done an amazing thing showing portability and accessibility. But at the same time, there were so many of them and like every wine brand was diving into cans and, yeah. I, and you know, very well-known wine brands. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to create something from scratch, this needs to stand alone and stand apart from everything else on the shelf. So um i really really wanted it to feel like a luxury and i needed it to be different enough so that was a really a big focus of ours and i looked to other beverage categories and what other brands felt like fancy water for example and i was like well that is feel super sexy and chic because of the packaging for some brands and can i do that in a way in wine that felt still unique and special to Wander and Ivy in a way that we could ultimately patent, which we did. Um, But then also, you know, draw inspiration from other categories that I think really have done a nice job of having it feel elevated just with the packaging alone.
0: I love that. I think it's so interesting looking at like outside your category to draw inspiration. I feel like sometimes that's where the best ideas come from. And certainly it did. So when you say you have a patent, so does that mean that nobody else can put wine in a similar bottle? Or what does that mean exactly? You're going down a legal path. It pretty complicated.
1: So I tried hard to wrap as much protection around the brand as possible. And so our bottle has enough differentiators to really stand out in the category. So yes, yeah. our bottle and actually our label design are patented such that ideally the goal is that it really causes other brands to not step into something, what you're doing, you know, of course, I'm sure our legal team will say that there's exceptions always, but the idea is really, I we think we share the same legal team. Yes, <laughs> And FYI. I, who I love and you know, I, what I had said to them was what we're doing is so different and I'd like to protect it as much as possible. It's hard in the food and beverage category to wrap yourself around it. Cause so yeah. many of the are similar so we tried hard to build enough things that really made us stand out we have for example like a punt on the bottom of our bottle which is uh meant to replicate a traditional wine bottle we have like our very specific cap which is designed for the look but also functionality and so we really tried hard to do so much around the bottle design to protect as much as possible does that mean no one will step in Who knows? And like, can we protect it? The goal is yes, always. Um, But really, my goal is also to demonstrate to all partners, team, partners, investors, that what we've done is so different and stands out so much that we were able to go through the very long, complicated process of getting patented. And I'm so proud of that.
0: It's amazing. So, looking back to the night that Gus told you to stop opening another bottle of wine. What was the time that it went from that? And A, that night, were you like, oh, this is an idea or this is an idea. And I think that this is actually going to be something. Like, at what point did you feel like this is it? It really wasn't
1: that night. That night was when I thought, let's explore this category. It really was, I always share, like a very personal interest in shopping that night. And so it was when I went out and bought what existed and then brought them home was like, oh, okay, this this feels like something, especially when he was like, you're not even drinking what's in the refrigerator. So that was the first spark for me. And then it was about a six to nine month process of like digging in, understanding the category, especially not coming from wine, of learning the category, building out an actual business model. Like, okay, well, if I did this, what on earth would it look like? And honestly, it was also talking with other people in the industry and also founders to so like, is this a good idea? Really picking their brains of kind of initially sharing the business model. Is this something that is worthwhile? Because you know, I worked really hard, and I also liked. I wasn't leaving a, a job that I strongly disliked. It was something that I always wanted to build. I wanted to build a company, but I had no idea what it was. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I have to feel really strongly about what I'm doing because I'm leaving a pretty comfortable gig that I've worked really hard for. And um it, it definitely took some time to build up the courage, but it was about it was probably nine months in total until I left my day job at JP Morgan.
0: Was there anything specific you remember that really like put you over the edge as far as building up your courage?
1: Yes. Well I mean one Gus is incredible and he was so supportive thankfully. And I think if you have a partner and they're not, I can think I think that can hinder you for sure. I that was first and foremost. But also, interestingly, I was like in the process of getting people's advice on like, what do you think of this? How does this sound? I like had that conversation with a lot of other founders and one in particular, I so appreciated him saying, because the way I positioned it was, hey, you know, I'll probably do it. It'll be a side hustle, you know, kind of like a side hustle is the way I positioned it. And I really, really appreciated that he had said, this is a good idea if you don't do this now, someone else will, and they'll do it better. And you're going to really be upset about that. And so dive in with your whole heart today. (laughs) And he really said it just like that. And, and it was like the little bit of the tough love that I felt like I really needed to push me over the edge because enough people had already said this is a great, like great idea. yeah. Yeah. But he was someone also that I didn't have a personal relationship with. It was primarily business. And so you know, I think there's the worry in talking with friends and family of like great idea and just being your cheerleaders, which is wonderful. But having more third parties say this is a great idea and him saying you have to do this now. Don't do it as a side. I understand the need to plan as much as you can financially, which we did for those nine months. But you can't be doing this on the side. Go all in and do it today. And I was like, uh, yeah, you're right. And then I did very shortly after that.
0: That's such good advice. I think it's Always all about timing, and that was case in point for you, yeah. so, in building the brand and sourcing your grapes from around the world, how difficult was that initially getting those partners sourcing, finding? And also, I guess let's take a step back before that, touching on that you got your sommelier certification. is that what? yeah,
1: it yeah, honestly, I remember sitting down at the beginning. Saying, okay, like step one, you know, like you're trying to build the steps, especially at the beginning when you have no idea of what that roadmap looks like and trying to build it for yourself. I knew not coming from the industry, I really wanted to build my own knowledge and also credibility, knowing that I was going to be an investor backed company and that that was a plan for me to raise I really wanted the credibility of having my Psalms certification, so that was like honestly signing up for that and going through that process was very early on. And the couple of days after leaving, I knew I what that looked like. And then you know, within the business model for for the partners, for so you know, I look back and it's interesting. I love the way in which I went about finding partners, but this is actually one of the pieces that like if I came from the category. I would have known that there are brokers that you could go through and like they can help you in the process. You pay for them, obviously. I love that we all go direct. I never even knew that brokers or these third-party intermediaries were a thing. Because now we're five years in and I we're now still sourcing from a lot of the same partners who I love. And, you know, we have such incredible relationships and they're direct relationships, such that I think I think I share with you, you know, some of the. Ones, for example, in Valencia, Spain, invite us to we haven't yet next year, though, for example, I think we're going to invite us for paella with he and his father and like just have such a cool, deep relationship. And they say things along the lines of, you know, we remember when we remember when you sourced 1000 liters versus now 50,000 plus at multiple times a year. And so that's been really cool. But my process honestly was it felt comfortable because it felt Similar to like building this universe of prospective people I wanted to work with at J.P. Morgan, you built the universe. Oftentimes, they're challenging people to get in front of or get to know, but you just you just kind of put yourself out there. And so I, you know, we of course now have built it out to a much more sophisticated process. But at the beginning, it was really just me not knowing that anyone else the third party existed, reaching out to these suppliers that I identified were in our universe and that checked certain boxes of criteria. So for us, it was. Certified organic and recognized by the USDA. I learned quite quickly that other global wines are oftentimes not, if they're organic and for example, New Zealand, they're likely not uh, hitting all of the boxes of USDA. It's really oh, that's interesting. It's really, they use some of the specific prohibited substances on the USDA list. And it'll be like one. I was so excited, for example, about this one New Zealand supplier and, you know, with the time difference, I'm like up at crazy hours, so excited. And I find that they put metassi- potassium metabisulfite in, which is a random one ingredient that the USDA doesn't allow. And so I learned quickly that they had to, I had to dig into their ingredient list and it could, it really needed to be approved by the USDA. I wanted them to be award-winning and internationally recognized in some way, really demonstrating their success in in the industry and family-owned and for us, because the packaging is very exploratory in many ways for consumers, I wanted the grape and the grape, um, the region to be very recognizable and familiar for folks. Like going up, okay, okay, that's a cab from California. Like, okay, that's a Spanish red blend. That feels comfortable and the package is exploratory. So that's cool. So I really, really focused on renowned wine regions and the most um, popular grape varietals. And if they checked those boxes, I sampled initially, and then we went through multiple consumer focuses. Again, this has evolved into even more sophisticated processes, but it still involves, to an extent, consumer focus groups and industry experts, which don't always overlap, You know, like the Master Psalms and the female millennial. So it's been important to have both of their perspectives. You know, Our internal team has been built out greatly, which I'm so appreciative of and grateful for the amazing talent on our team. And then the industry experts that also taste and provide their feedback. That really helped us hone in on who we want to partner with. And we've had these amazing partners for years now.
0: So in the beginning, and I remember you inviting me over to drink wine and try some (laughs) things out. How many, how many wines did you go through, like to pick your cab, for example?
1: Yeah. Oh, it's such a, you know, we didn't. Shipping the wine, especially at the beginning, you know, because you're covering those costs. It was also a a strategic decision on, okay, they really have to check every single one of our boxes. And I would say one other piece of it is pricing as well, because, of course, it could be a gorgeous wine. But if it's, you know, per bottle, five hundred dollars, it's not going to land on the shelf where I want it to be. And so if they if they checked all the boxes, including price, then it was probably there were probably. Five to ten of the varietals that we would consider. And you know, it's funny, all the time Gus would say, like, I don't hate it. You know, I don't hate this new role that you're in. Cause you'd be some of the early taste testers when it was just me and him. And then we'd build out the consumer focus groups and the and the industry expert groups. But it was exciting to hear people's feedback and what they would be willing to pay for the particular varietals and and the vintages that we were looking at. But I didn't go crazy with it, especially because we were taking on the cost of of shipping internationally and reviewing so many different varietals at the beginning. So probably narrowed down to five to 10 varietals at the beginning. And now we're just hyper selective and we have a pretty good understanding of the taste profile. So I, I would say it's anywhere from three to five that we're actually tasting that we're truly considering because not that many will check every one of the boxes. So it's not even really worth going through that tasting process. Sure, it's still
0: pretty hard to hit all those benchmarks. So if someone has not had Wander and Ivy, they're new to the brand, what do you tell them? And obviously people have their own preferences at the type of wine, but say someone says, I like all wines, what do you tell someone to start with? So we have a mixed varietal
1: pack. So fortunately that's like by far our bestseller because people love it because it's a way for them to experiment. If they're just in a wine shop and just literally want to get one bottle, you know, I tend to ask them a couple of questions like okay, what do you typically like where do you typically lean? Do you like super dry? Um, are you a red or your white? Sometimes I would say people have a um specific opinion on if they're a red or a white or if they like rosé. So they kind of know that, but then people get a little nervous to like dig into any weeds. But if they like one of those bridles, then I, I'll try to lean them to what they like. But oftentimes people will say, what's your favorite? I was
0: say, well, what's yours? Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So people say that all the time. So from the beginning, our red blend has been my favorite. It's a mix of Bobal and Merlot. And what's fun from a consumer standpoint about it is that there's this very recognizable Merlot that I would say most U.S. consumers are familiar with. And then there's this like super sexy, uh, less, way lesser known bobal, which is native to Valencia, Spain, which I wasn't familiar about until going through my SOM certifications. And it just brings like such a chocolatey, spicy amazingness to it. And it's really dry. It's it's great for a lot of meals. And so I typically say that's been my favorite from the beginning. I'm also, though, currently torn because I'm loving our, so, our brand new Sauvignon Blanc. So if someone's a a red drinker for sure. I, that's my favorite. Um, but I, I feel I keep saying like, I feel like I'm cheating on a red blend because I love the new South <laughs>
0: Blanc so much. But I've history- been loving it too. And I'm not a Sauv Blanc drinker. And I've ah, been using it a lot in food and cooking. I love that. It's such personal
1: preference. And if people have no clue if for themselves or gifting to others, I always say for sure, gifting. We now also have our four packs. So I'm like, hey, if you have no idea, a mixed varietal is the way to go. Let them choose and figure out what they like the best.
0: Love that. So obviously you're available on D2C and elsewhere. What's really been your approach to building the brand? And you're certainly standing out in so many ways with the packaging, the offering of the actual product, but how do you think about really getting out there? And you've done such a phenomenal job of doing it so far.
1: So, we do have the two sides of the business the online wine shop, the direct to consumer, which we ship to 38 states. So, most states in the US, they can. And then we're also now in stores and in hotels in 18 states, which is really, really exciting for us. So, there's these huge, big areas of the business. And, you know, first and foremost, it was building an amazing product that people loved, which was hard from the beginning. Finding those, you know, I know we talked about winery partners, but the bottling partners were also really challenging initially to find because what we were doing was so wild and so okay. different. There was, there's was there been a lack of innovation in the category. And so first and foremost, in terms of building the brand, it was like, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. Let's make sure we have an incredible product. And then from there, I have just found that for consumer brands, elevating the brand across the country and investing in marketing, even though... It's it's been a heavy investment for us. It's been so worthwhile on both sides of the business. There's so many different, it's like such a big multi-pronged approach because it's investing on the digital side, which is so important to build our, you know, community as you have and build out all of our digital needs to also, you know, I know offline we were touching on the PR, which has been such a huge focus of ours, of really elevating the brand across the country from a traditional PR perspective, whether it's print or digital. Broadcast, those are really important to us. And then also partnering with our wholesale partners and the retailers that we're in. Like, how do we elevate the brand when someone walks in and they get excited? We do everything we can to make it jump off the shelf. And telling that story is a major investment. And so, really, as a board, strategically, we've decided we're going to invest quite heavily from an investment standpoint or from a marketing standpoint, so that people across the country learn who we are, get excited, and then ultimately fall in love. And it's a must have in their house, which is so exciting. And then, you know, building the team around us to be able to execute. I'm trying so hard to keep a lean, mean team and not grow too fast there. But having such incredible talent on the team has been really important to me. And they're really building out the right people.
0: I think it's also been really interesting your approach to getting into hotels and like such a great fit for a mini bar and someone to experience it at a hotel and then go home and and buy it in their store or buy it online.
1: I love that you said that. Funny enough, one of our investors, we sent out our quarterly investor update yesterday. One of our investors sent me just an anecdote, which I love hearing. These so much. She, you know, has one of our Wander and Ivy water bottles, which was like a gift at one of our investor meetings. She was playing tennis and randomly the person across playing her said, how do you know Wander and Ivy? And she said, oh, I, you know, I've, I've, I'm I an investor in them. And she, how do you know Wander and Ivy? And she said, oh, I tasted them at the Broadmoor Hotel and I've now obsessed and I buy them every week and I'm in love with the rosé. And so I love that the investor shared that yeah. because the hotel business for us, I've always seen as such a major opportunity. But throughout the pandemic, we entirely placed it on hold, of course. And then as travel started to reemerge, we just saw so much success in getting in hotels. There were immediate success stories. And we, you know, in that setting are not really competing with a sea of other brands. And it's exactly what guests are looking for. You know, all the time we hear like guests are no longer wanting these like overpriced 750 milliliter bottles of red when it's just them. Like let's let's give them something that feels like a luxury, feels accessible. And they're like, looks beautiful in the minibar. Exactly. And so that's been great. And then you know, hearing anecdotally that... Because it is hard to measure that piece of it in terms from a marketing perspective, but hearing anecdotally more and more of, oh, I saw it in this hotel and now I'm obsessed and now I buy it every week, whether it's online or in stores, is amazing. And so we are really, really focused on that from a sales perspective of really getting it in as many of the luxury hotels as possible across the country. Oftentimes that opens up new states for us, like Florida, for example, where a large hotel is bringing us in. And now we're like, okay, let's attack stores. But step one was getting people to see it. And then they love it so much. They go to their store across
0: the street and buy it. I love that strategy. Yeah. As you mentioned investors, I'm curious to hear either from investors or board members, what has been the best advice that's, or maybe best and worst perhaps (laughs) advice that's helped you along the way these last couple of years? So
1: I would say some of the like the more challenging things that sometimes, especially at the beginning, you hear a lot of conflicting advice in terms of how to do it. So it's how to do anything along the lines yeah. of building the business model. And so not necessarily that it's bad advice. It's just you hear all the whole spectrum of it when there are people really thinking about putting their dollars behind you. But in terms of the best advice, I will say I am so in love and feel so grateful with our board. I've told you that. I just feel so so fortunate with the people around us. They're so talented in the industry and care so deeply about our mission and and also help lift me up in ways that sometimes I'm not even doing. You know, I think I tend to fall in the category of, you know, like highlighting flaws or, you know, things like that. I feel like maybe a stereotypical founder does of like here are all the things that I need to improve and work on. And what I really appreciate from our board the way that they said it um, a couple quarters ago was like you really, really identifying my superpowers. And I loved that they used that word in particular of you need to embrace these specific superpowers. And what I don't think your I... superpowers. <laughs> now you're going to make me blush. <laughs> but I mean, you were talking about it in the context of how exciting broadcast is and Dale is on our board he founded Oscar Blues and one of the biggest moments for them was a PR moment in the in the history of Oscar Blues and so we talk a lot about the power of PR which is why we invest in that and they've seen me on some national broadcast and I appreciate that whether it's standing in front of a sales team but, but particularly on broadcast of so like you need to embrace how great of a representative of the brand you are and your PR team that needs to get you on as much. Yeah. And that's something that I think is hard, at least for me to say to a PR team, to give them a directive, which is basically saying I'm great at this. You need to go do this. However, as a former dancer, I actually absolutely love being on stage. I love being like having the spotlight on me. That was something that just like I learned to love and it was something I'm really proud of. And so it gives me confidence in front of sales teams or any kind of sales pitches. But it like I absolutely feel myself light up in those kind of broadcast opportunities and the opportunities to represent the brand across the country. And so I appreciate that they lift me up in a way to say, embrace your superpowers, own them, and really lean into them and help. You know, obviously you're not great at everything, and and bring in other people for the areas. Where perhaps you are lacking, but for these couple of things you shine and just embrace it, rather than kind of shying away or not necessarily as boldly saying it to your PR team. But really, don't be afraid of it and embrace your superpower and represent the brand in the way that you can.
0: And that I was very humbled by. I love that. That's like amazing for your board to to tell you, and I think just great advice for anybody that Mm -hmm. recognizing what it is that really lights you up and is that superpower and and focusing on that as much as you can versus the things that don't really light you up and you don't yeah. feel so good at.
1: I agree. It was it was really good advice. And you know, they're not yes people by any means. You know, they they push me and they motivate me, but another reminder to surround yourself with the people who push you and inspire you and really are great strategic thinkers behind the brand, but also can lift you up and be there and really believe in you. So that's been really important for me.
0: So speaking of people who inspire you and lift you up, you are also a mother of two. How do you, I never say balance, but how do you prioritize and work through being a mom, a CEO, a wife, and all the other things in your life? I know, And to, to feel your best.
1: Yes, I, and I try to avoid the word balance as well in that context. So ever since I had Malim, which she's three and a half now, I have a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old. And ever since I had her, I really tried so hard to prioritize, like hyper prioritize. And what worked for me and what continues to work for me is being really, really consistent with time blocking and having not only my family aware of that, but my team aware that this is family time this is Wander and Ivy time. And I have just not at all, like many people found to be nearly as productive or impactful if I'm trying to do it all, like as we're hyper-trained to multitask, I've tried to really focus on the business and not do 10 other personal things while doing that. And really when I'm with my kids, I put my phone away and I'm really, really careful about that. And then I work a little, for example, after they go to bed, if I really need to do anything else, but when I'm with them, I really focus on them. And I, like you said, my my favorite and most important roles are life are mom, wife, and CEO. And so being my best version of myself, oftentimes making a little bit other sacrifices in terms of, you know, not perhaps going out late with girlfriends on an evening, knowing I'm certainly not going to show up as my best self the next day. And prioritizing sleep, prioritizing all the things that make me feel happy and healthy, because those are the three roles that are just most important and also bring me the most joy. So what can I do to really focus on those roles and being the best version of myself? But time blocking has been something that has worked for me and really making sure everyone in my world is aware of what I'm trying to focus on at that time.
0: So are you super diligent about putting every single thing that you do in the day in your calendar? Every single thing? Well, (laughs) well, Not everything, but like, are you putting your workout in? Are you putting in, here's my time with my kids? Here's- so
1: family time is on the calendar. It says family time on my, and, and my team has access to it. So they know when is family time. You know, I, I try not to really, unless something's so private, I wouldn't want to share, but things like kids' doctor's appointments, like they happen, I'm their mom, I'm going to bring them. And so JB just had his 18 month appointment. And so it's on my calendar on a Friday. I, you know, that's what I'll be doing at that time. I won't be taking calls while I'm holding him and, you know, and the doctor's checking him. And so I also have been prioritizing more of the self-care, like the, like the workouts and the other things like that. And those are on my calendar. And I've, I've shared with my team, I'm going to try so hard to commit to once a week, personal trainer sessions, their Friday afternoon, that's my self-care moment and really encouraging them whenever throughout the week to find those moments for them. Because for me, it's been so, so helpful. Mm-hmm.
0: I also love that you mentioned the other day about meditating and having your daughter come and do that too, which was like the cutest thing. So I think we'd love to touch on that because I think it's such great advice and you're setting such a wonderful example for them.
1: Oh, thank you. You know, I know I love talking about our morning and nighttime routines and I will say our, my morning routine and nighttime routine, I've gotten really strict about trying to build them out and keep them sacred. And in the morning, I try really hard to wake up early before they wake up to hydrate, meditate and stretch. And- What do you
0: hydrate with? Just water or something? I have,
1: I've been adding, um, Gus got me and other people. Are you an element lover? Oh,
0: I'm obsessed. In, yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> I, with been, ice
0: specifically. Yeah,
1: ice and like I have the big liter glass bottle. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I also am a big fan of water and lemon. And I try hard to hydrate as much as I can. There's not a specific amount that I think I need in the morning. I just drink as much as I can. And then I try to meditate just for a few minutes. And like within that, have a gratitude practice and trying to incorporate a little bit of manifesting as well. And I try to do all of that and stretch and move my body a bit before Malin wakes up. But I'm also trying hard, as I shared with you, to like have grace and flexibility and recognize that I'm setting a good example. And rather than being like, oh, she's stepping into my moment. If she wakes up early and comes down, we're trying to encourage the quiet play in her room until her sound machine turns green. But if she doesn't and she's been coming and I realize that she now likes it so much. So she's kind of excited to come down. And, and, you know, I was stretching one one morning and she literally started saying, Mom, mom mom can we meditate now can we meditate now and to her she thinks about it as we do five deep breaths together and she sits with me in her little crisscross applesauce and puts her hands on her laps. and you know it's it's pretty wonderful gus has captured a few moments that i've shared on social because it, i do really really try hard to have the mindset of this isn't you know quite me time right now because she'll interrupt and she'll say things but at the same time. What an amazing example to show how I'm taking care of myself in the morning. And I am really loving that. And she's seeing that she sees that we stretch. She sees we call it moving our body, whatever we're doing. Sometimes it's literally a light yoga and sometimes it's Peloton. And she's like, you're moving your body today. When are we going to meditate? And so it's really cute. I try hard to do those three things of hydrating, meditating and moving my body. Sometimes it's before she wakes up. And if not, that's okay. It's a great example.
0: What are you doing manifesting wise? So I
1: am trying really hard to visualize some key goals that I have. The last trip that Gus and I went on, it it was a good exercise for me. I've been really wanting to build out a five-year vision board. And so I did that really for the first time, like a lot of stuff that I've thought about often, but haven't put down in one format. And so I built out the five-year vision Board. And then with that, I've been trying to really identify specific goals within that and try to visualize them. And I'm reading this great book now that's very actionable with what's steps. the book. It's called manifest the seven steps to living your best life. And what I love about it, I feel like manifesting, at least for me, sometimes could feel like woo-woo, where you're like, Hi. it just what feels does that mean. Yeah. yeah. Like, what is what is that? And so what I like is that it's very actionable and with action, clearly seven action steps. And one of them is really being clear on what your vision are is like, what does success look like for you? And and not limiting yourself in that and really identifying like what are your biggest dreams and goals in life and And in this manifesting, again, it's only a few minutes. And so the encouragement from the book is really identifying pieces of that over time and really visualizing it and allowing yourself to feel how you would feel when those come to fruition. And so I'm working on it. It's newer for me. I'm like by no means an expert, but I've found it to be this really wonderful way to get clear on my goals. And then you know, really believe in them. A, a core piece of the book is losing the doubt and self, the self-doubt and the fear behind any of the goals that you have, like, oh, that's not going to happen. And I probably shouldn't dream it. I would mentioned to you because I don't want to set myself up for, for feelings of failure or disappointment and just trying to let some of that go and really be free and like, and embrace. These are the big picture things that I love in our, in life. And believe it. And so trying my my best to incorporate that after some gratitude practices in
0: the morning. I love that. I'm such a firm believer, as you know, too, in in manifesting and really putting those positive intentions out there. And I think what you said about really getting into this space where you're trying to feel what does it feel like when you have this thing Is super powerful.
1: I think so. And I've really, really found that so far. And some of the things I was mentioning, you know, it's, some of the things are already starting to come to life. And I think it's to your point of just sending out so much positive energy to the world. And it may come back in ways that it's not exactly the way in which you thought originally, but still incredible things that you're bringing to life. And, and then the idea of taking the actionable steps in your day to day to get to those goals and just being a lot
0: more mindful of them in your day-to-day, I think is important. Well, I think everyone needs to pick up that book. It sounds like, <laughs> including myself. <Yeah. laughs> All right. We're going to move into some rapid fire Q and A. If you could have a glass or a bottle of Wonder and Ivy with anybody dead or alive, who would it be?
1: Oh, I find this to be such a hard question because there's so many people that inspire me. But when I was thinking about the experience, like who do I want to sit down with? I'm just such a New York lover. I love all things New York, and recently I've gotten back into. I mean, I've watched every single episode of Sex in the City, and now that the revival have been just like that, I feel like Sarah Jessica is just what a person to sit down with. Like I'm thinking, like in a chic New York location, like having a glass. Like who does like how dreamy does that, that sound? Would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'd take her. There's so many, but I think that's a good so one. Three things that you're currently loving. So one of them is that book. I've been really, really loving the Manifest book. Um, I also really, have you tried Henry Rose? No. I have been really loving it. So it's the non-toxic fragrance brand by uh, Michelle Pfeiffer that I heard of from Molly Sims. I'm the person who's like, ha- I had the same scent for a decade. And I love that when people would hug me, it's like, oh, like you, you smell like you and I love that. And then I had kids and the doctors were like, whoa, whoa. Like kids are the, like their skin, especially as newborns are hyper absorbent. You cannot have fragrance on them. Like, do you know how toxic that is? And then, and again, to your point of just not even thinking about it initially with all of the things that we put on inside our bodies, I just stopped wearing fragrance altogether. And it's been really fun hearing about that. She has this sample set that I highly recommend. It's a fun way to like sample all of these new non toxic scents. And the name of the brand, I'm pretty sure is her children's middle name. So it's kind of along her stories along those lines of when she had kids, she wasn't wanting to expose them to all the toxins. And when you're holding them against you, you're really exposing them to so much that's on your body. And they're absorbing it all in a way that we aren't. So I'm kind of loving exploring. Oh, I love scents. that. Oh, and I am, we, from a show standpoint, I, we just finished Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Have you watched that one? No, I haven't. Oh, I, we don't watch a lot of TV. So to be honest, we joke. I watch them in like five to 20 minute increments because we really don't watch a lot of TV. She is so smart. It's so witty. And she's just hilarious. So I found myself laughing out loud and I thought the writing was so, so good. And she's just like... Fiery, independent woman that I just loved watching. More and more characters like that on TV, the better. Um, so yeah, those are some things I'm currently loving.
0: What do you want more of in your life?
1: Probably the like self-care moments, such as the personal training. I talked about being hyper-mindful of, of my time blocking, which for a while was just family time and business. And I'm, I'm aware that that doesn't say me time. So trying my best to, especially as a mom now really carve out time, put it on my calendar for whether it's a massage or anything little and like kind of do it unapologetically, like, yes, I'm getting a manicure or whatever that might be, but not having the guilts or apologies associated with it. So I'm trying my best to do more and more of that with the personal training session, which I have later today.
0: Nice. (laughs) Time for you on this Friday. Favorite words to live by.
1: You know, they go along that line of I have to take care of myself before taking care of others. I really do feel that way. And I think it a lot, especially after I drop off the kids and I want to dive into work or dive into something for something else that's not necessarily taking care of me. I'm trying really, really hard to always be mindful of taking care of myself and know, again, unapologetically, that I And the best version of myself when I take care of myself and and really prioritizing that so that I can show up as my best version.
0: A favorite book or podcast for growth? You know, from a podcast perspective, I mean, other than yours. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I
1: love Melissa Wood. I'm a big Melissa Wood fan. And whether it's, I mean, her movements for sure, but her meditation, especially someone learning we basically craft meditation for myself and build that like from a growth standpoint. And she also has some incredible female founders that she focuses. And so I would say other female founders, whether it's how I built this or Melissa Wood, I get so much inspiration from. And so I would really say she is one source of where I find other inspiring female founders other than purely Elizabeth. (sighs) Favorite wonder and Ivy moment. Uh, This one, I definitely find to be a hard question. I, so I think about it and like, it was like a 48 hour period this year where we had this big event. It was amazing. And we had the opportunity to share our wines with Pink. And funny enough, I met Pink like 20 years ago. Like I was this like little girl at her concert and I got to go backstage. And so at, in this moment that was featured, Wander and Ivy was featured at this event where she was. I got to show her this video of us like 20 wow. years ago.
0: That's and so what cool. was
1: amazing was that she, like she actually won, took the time of day and was like, holy moly, what an amazing brand. And start, and you know, it's so exciting and obviously reaffirming when anybody says that. But when someone of her caliber, any kind of celebrity caliber stops, tells you all about why this is absolutely incredible. And then also gives me the opportunity to say, can I show you something? And I showed it to her and she leaned over to me and all of this is it's fun. It's on video and was like, look what we've done in the last 20 years. And like how it was just a really cool moment. And that was in this period of time where there was a late night event. I went, I was exhausted. The next morning had to take an early flight home to get home for the kids. And Gus was flying out, we were like missing each other. It was a crazy kind of work-life, you know, quote, balance that that day. And that morning, we were also featured on the Today Show, which at that oh, point was wow. our largest national broadcast opportunity. And I get on a plane, which was so turbulent and I was so tired. And I landed and just wasn't feeling great. And my dad, I had two conversations with my husband and dad. And especially my dad, who was an entrepreneur, kind of like came from nothing and built something hearing him say to me like what a moment like what a couple of days you've had like take it in and i found myself feeling emotional because i was so tired i was feeling a little sick cuz i get motion sick and he was just like take it in how amazing and it was a little bit full circle with him and then also having similar conversations with gus who's been there with me from the beginning and those kind of big moments of being able to like really sit and say it's obviously challenging it's really hard but like what a moment. that th- that is an example of some of the big stuff that we've gone through. and having those moments with family is super special, yeah,
0: that's so special. and like such a great reminder to stop, yeah, and realize and enjoy, yeah. And last question, what is your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? Sleep. I know it's important to you. Sleep is sleep is number one for me. Anything that you do that helps your sleep or are you just a good sleeper?
1: No, I would not say I'm a good sleeper. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, I postpartum, I found it hard to admit that I was having a lot of sleep anxiety. I think it's something that of the many, many things women are, um, find hard to admit that they're challenged with. That was something I've shared with friends and, and, and gone through help of like, how do I, how do I pull that in and really well, for me, what I do to help release kind of the sleep anxiety around not getting enough sleep, especially in the early days of the kids being so young, was building out a really strong nighttime routine. And I know you and I have talked about this, but for me, it's I was working too late. I was, you know, tra- thinking I could go to bed right after working up until that moment. And so I'm really mindful of not having any screens or work an hour before bedtime. Gus is, you know, in the house and thankfully he joins in for me to, I, you know, he has all the lights on. I'm turning all the lights down and I'm a big believer in then he and I catch up, but putting my legs up the wall, taking deep breaths, like all the health benefits of that. I'm a big believer in. And, um, and then when I lay down, I loved, I feel as though so many people have said this recently, but going to bed and rather than focusing on anything that, you could have done better of only saying to yourself what made today great. And I do do that every single night. And I've heard people be like, and then you fall asleep mid day, you know, in your mid, <laughs> you don't even get to your end of your day. If you really are thinking about all the little things that made your day great. And that's been really, I've been a lot better uh, about sticking to those practices and getting a really solid night's sleep. And I just, that for sure makes me the best version of myself.
0: Sleep is number one. And that's a really great tip for everybody to try. Well, in closing, where can everybody find you? And what's next? So you can find us at
1: wanderandivy.com and also follow us at wanderandivy on Instagram. So what's next? I mean, I'm just really excited to scale the brand. We have some really exciting innovations in the pipeline. Bubbles are coming. And when are they coming? Early next year. And that's a big innovation for us, especially with our patented bottle. So really trying to continue to stay the leader in this space in premium, organic, innovative, alternative packaging wine of really doing everything we can to stay the leader and continuing to scale it across the country. Because I think in many ways, we're just starting to scratch the
0: surface. Absolutely. Dana, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This is so much fun to catch up. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.